Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Jordana Newberger. Now, Jordana is a profusionist, which I did not know exactly what that was, and apparently I'm not alone, so she's going to explain a little bit about that, and also a nutrition coach. And um, today, we're going to collect her story. She has an absolutely amazing story, and it goes from mindset to weight loss to back again. So let's just start off with a big welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Dude, I'm stoked to have you. I'm stoked to talk to you. I listened to a podcast with you, and... um, um, Michael and Jeff earlier, and I, you know, I started learning a little bit more about you and your story is absolutely amazing. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you grow up? And, and, and let's start there. And we'll go into uh, a little bit about your weight loss journey. Okay. Um, well, thank you, first of all. Um, second, um, I am actually one of the f- probably few Arizona natives. So I was born and raised here in Arizona, born in Tucson. Parents moved up to Phoenix. So that's kind of where I did school and you know, grew up Paradise Valley area, mm-hmm. um, Horizon Huskies. I was almost messed that up. Horizon Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> Has it been that long? I know. I was like, Ooh, how long has it been? Sorry, um, Horizon. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, and then once I graduated high school, I went down to Tucson for college at the University of Arizona. Go Wildcats. Probably oh, another few and far in between here in Phoenix, but yep. I'm a proud Wildcat. Win, lose, or draw. I've lost a lot of bets <laughs> <laughs> being with them, but yeah. And so, and then after that, I uh, moved to New York for a little bit for grad school, got a job and stayed there for nine years, then moved back to Arizona and been here for about four years. Wow. Wow. So you've come full circle. Full circle. West, co- west side or southwest side to <laughs> east coast and all the way back again. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. I can relate to that. So um, let's dive into your story a little bit. You um, you mentioned off mic and in another podcast that you have some nerves around telling your story and that you weren't really sure if it was something that you could really approach and, and do. And yet when I listened to you tell your story previously, I felt like you did just an amazing job of conveying how you were feeling and what you were going through. And you had this amazing sort of experience going through weight loss. And, and maybe you can just start us with, you know, what it was like, you know, recognizing that that was a journey that you wanted to jump on and then take us down that path a little bit. Sure. It's funny that you say that because that was my first podcast and probably the first time I'd ever shared it with a male counterpart. Mm. And so that was huge. Michael, um, the owner of PHX, and I actually had several by the window conversations, as we like to call it, um, before like workouts, I was, I'm early to everything. And so we would always just dive into it. And I don't know what it was about Michael, but I was, I was able to easily open up to him and have conversations about that, which I'd never had in the past. Um, it was always, you know, talking about weight and gaining weight, losing weight or the journey and that whole thing. I would get super anxious, emotional. Like there wasn't a time where I wouldn't cry the second someone brought up my weight. That was just what wow, it was. I was really? super ashamed. I was like, I don't know what to do about it. But going back, um, so I was, you know, the typical growing up fat kid. And I, you know, I can say that now, but like I said, I cried a lot. Um, my parents, it's, it's funny because my parents were both thin as kids, you know, like my dad was a football player. He wrestled, you know, he was in great shape. My mom was, you know, very thin and 
but when they we ha- they had kids and there was a time where I was like I remember we you know ate dinners together we ate breakfast my mom would get up in the morning eat breakfast and then something shifted and I'm not really sure what changed with my parents but we just started eating fast food mm. all the time and that's kind of what our go-to was we had you know crap snacks in the house it wasn't like oh let me go for that piece of fruit or you know that vegetable it was like oh there's a hostess cupcake I'm gonna eat that (laughs) (laughs) so that's kind of how I grew up you know like my a lot of my memorable stories are you know going to jack-in-a-box with my parents at two in the morning when we were going through a remove you know they were Mm. like wake us up let's go get tacos you know (laughs) so I didn't really grow up with a healthy lifestyle you know we weren't really encouraged or pushed to do sports you know when I was growing up in middle school they kind of took away competitive sports at the high school level and it all became intramurals. Mm. So we weren't really encouraged to do that. My parents didn't encourage us to go outside and ride bikes because we grew up in a time where you don't really know who's in your neighborhood and you know whatnot. Mm. So I, I packed on weight really quickly. And so by high school, you know, I was no longer, you know, shopping in the regular stores. I had to go to the, you know, big girl stores. Um, for those of you that know, Lane Bryant was my best friend. Uh, (laughs) which you know I laugh now but you know I cried I was terrified you know when my friends wanted to go to the mall to go shopping I didn't want to go because I couldn't shop in the same short stores that they could shop in I had a lot of anxiety and stress about that so what was going through your head when that when those conversations would come up were you just feeling like less than or or what definitely feeling less than and I mentally just abuse myself you know like why aren't you you shouldn't be eating this you shouldn't be doing that you should be you know thin and you know we go to the and I would go to the store and the malls with my friends and you know my friends would say did you find anything and I was like no I don't really like anything meanwhile I'm like no nothing fits me like there's no I can't shop here you know and so it got it was really hard and I luckily had a good group of friends. I wasn't one of those kids that was overweight that got made fun of every day. Mm-hmm. I, um, the kids that I went through like elementary school, middle school and high school were kids that I'd known for my entire life. So fortunately I didn't have to deal with bullying and being pushed around because of my weight. I remember one time very um, specifically in high school and it was um, a guy that one of my friends broke up with and he was getting even with her by making fun of me and mm-hmm. you know it hurt and I will to this day always remember what he said and how it went down right. but I was like I said I was lucky enough that people didn't do that to me and who knows what they were saying behind my back you know I don't know but I had a very good group of friends that didn't treat me differently for that reason mm-hmm. but at the same time you know like the social anxiety comes up like going to the mall or having a meal in front of friends or you know dance school dances I never had a date you know I went to Mm. my high school prom with my sister's best friend Mm. who worked for my dad (laughs) okay so I mean and he was great it was you know but at the same time in my head I'm like this isn't how it should be you know and it wasn't like teenage romance it it wasn't teenage romance you know like I didn't date in high school I didn't have boyfriends and for people that are wondering like oh well how big was she like um if for the girls that know like um, I was in the size 20 range, like 22, 24 ish for the guys that don't know, like it goes from zero to four, six, eight. So I was all the way in the two twenties. Mm. So I, and you know, at my biggest in high school, I don't know what I weighed. I have no idea cause I didn't want to know. Right. Um, but it was probably, it was over 200 for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but so th- that's kind of how I went through high school. And then I got to college and I lived in a dorm and to my surprise, um, my dorm floor was co-ed. Mm. 
Okay. <laughs> and which usually it's by floor, but actually like walking up. And I remember this so clearly because I was with my dad and we were walking up and, you know, they decorate the doors and have your names on the door. Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, well, Chris doesn't sound like a, like a girl. <laughs> Paul, Adam, what's happening here? Definitely Jordana. not female. Yeah. He's like, Jordana, did you, did you know that this was male um, floor, male, female floor? I was like, dad, I had no idea. It's a co-ed dorm. Like, right. how was I supposed to know? So my dad to this day swears that I knew. And I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> but, you know, so go to high school or go to college and I'm in a co-ed floor, which, you know, you think about it and you're like, yay. And then you're like, and then me, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be living with guys. I'm going to be living with, you know, boys in my head. Mm-hmm. And already I'm like anxious because I'm like, I don't know how they're going to take me. These are now new people that I don't know that I haven't spent my life with, you know. And I'm living with a, uh, you know, complete stranger in my room. Who knows how that's going to go. Um, but at the end, like, my roommate was awesome. She's still one of my best friends. She also struggled with her weight. And then my floor, you know, we had a good mix. We had, I had a hockey player. I had a ROTC chick, you know. Um, we had some people that worked out every day. We had some people that didn't. We had runners. It was a good mix and a good group of people. Um, but they worked out all the time I hadn't stepped I ever stepped foot in a gym so that like social anxiety talk about social anxiety like gym anxiety is another thing you know like I was so afraid to even try right right because I like my weight crippled me I let it cripple me Mm -hmm. so when you went into that situation with the co-ed dorm you know it it sounds like as you tell the story it sounds like you know you you talk about how you were surrounded by good people you know, but walking in, you had, I'm sure, some stories running through your head, some expectations that maybe were or not met. What was it like going in versus reality? <laughs> Did those two things line up or were people better to you than you thought they would be or worse or what? They were definitely better to me than I expected. You know, um, like I said, like I had so much anxiety, social anxiety and so much of it was revolved around my weight. And I think that it still does to this day. I still think about that stuff. But, like, you know, um, being over 200 pounds, 17 years old, in my head, I'm thinking, how did I let myself get this way? Mm-hmm. How did I get here? You know, and then I'm thinking, what are they thinking? Are they thinking the same thing? Are they thinking, oh, she shouldn't be eating that, or she should be running, or she should be doing this? And all of those thoughts were my thoughts. They weren't their thoughts. They were right. what I thought, you know. And But it was it took, it consumed me, you know, and the, these people that I lived with, you know, the guys would go to the gym for three, four hours a day, you know, one of, one of the guys was like, oh, I want to be a house, I have to, you know, work out all the time, <laughs> and to me, I'm like, oh, you okay, great, have fun, and they would invite me, but I wouldn't go, because I was so ashamed, and I was so worried about being judged, and what people were thinking, versus trying to do something for myself, mm, you know, yeah. and at the time, I was thinking, like, I don't know if I, I think I subconsciously was thinking, I'm like, oh, they're telling me I should go to the gym, that I need to go to the gym. But in reality, it was something that they enjoyed doing. We were friends, and they were like, come with us, you know, come to the gym, you know, do your thing with it, you know. And, but in my head, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I was so blinded by my own insecurities and the own demons that I couldn't see what it was. Right. And so, honestly, in college, um, just 
being in that environment, not having a car my first year and just walking to classes, I lost weight in that respect because I was walking everywhere and I wasn't eating the fast food shit that I was eating with my family. Sorry, can I cuss? Of course. <laughs> I wasn't <Your> eating, world. <laughs> I wasn't eating like fast food all the time. I mean, sure, I went to the union or whatever, but I wasn't eating all of that all the time. Right. You know, I ate with my roommates and, you know, whatnot. I was making better choices, but it was still, you know, difficult. And I probably could have done myself a service by going to the gym and just joining my friends, but I was too afraid. I was mm. like, they judged me, you know, and I had a hard time eating around people. That was. How do you reconcile that though? Like if they're, if these folks around you are inviting you, right? How do you reconcile that with your interpretation that if you do go, they're going to judge you? Or was it not them that you were worried about? Maybe other people in the gym? I think it was a combination of both. Like, you know, like I said before, like I really, it, so dumb when I say it out loud. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, they're telling me I need to go to the gym. Like they're saying, get up, get up. You need to go. And that's not at all what they were saying, you know? Oh, and this, But yeah, you know, you have that. It's like, even now, like walking into a new gym or a new environment or the weight room with all of these guys or, or women that are, you know, bodybuilders or they lift weights all the time. I'm intimidated, you know, mm -hmm. like it's intimidating. So for someone that is severely overweight, going into a gym, it, it's, it's stressful. You know, you don't, first of all, you don't know what to do. You right. know, like everyone you read, like you watch the news or you, cardio, do cardio. So that's literally what I did. I was like, I'm going to just do, do cardio. <laughs> I had no idea what weights were. And looking in the weight room, all I saw were these big beefy men. And I'm like, no, I'm not going in there. Right, like, right. I don't know what to do. So I just avoided it. And um, retrospectively, I wish I hadn't, but I did. Um, and then... You know, the, and it's funny that I say that because these people that I live with in the dorms that were like, oh, come to the gym, come to the gym with me. I'm still best friends with them. Like we have a whole like group that there's like 10 of us that get together all the time. And they're some of my best friends and I'll get to this later. But I mean, some of them have even said to me, they're like, you never knew your worth. Like you didn't know how good you were back then. And I was like, no. I didn't, and they saw it. They they said they're like we all knew. We all thought you were amazing. You were great, this and that. But you let your physical appearance hold you back. Mm. And it, I mean, I did, hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. So, at what point did you start to allow that to switch? Right, like, because I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, well, you you let your physical appearance hold you back, but really, that's you interpreting yourself internally to be less than because you look a certain way like right. you're you're valuing some externality that someone else may or may not value and at some point for you to go to the gym and like start plugging in and doing all these crazy crossfit workouts and becoming <laughs> a nutrition coach and all this other stuff right like at what point did that shift for you and how did you go about you know what tools did you employ to, to change your mind about yourself so I think this is different for everybody, and I, you're right. There is definitely – I think that everyone can probably pinpoint, I want to say probably a low point where they're like, I have to make a change. I have to do something. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I did it for the wrong reasons, and I know that now. But it, but I'm glad I did it for the wrong reasons because it shifted to the right reasons. But I, after college, I'd moved to New York for grad school, mm -hmm. and, um, and I moved there not knowing a soul. Uh, no family, no friends. I got into grad school and I'm like, Hey, moving. See you guys later. <laughs> so I was terrified. Of course. I was afraid to leave my house for like two days, <laughs> but I moved into a house in Queens where the lady that owned the house rented out her second and third floors. Mm -hmm. And so my two roommates were actually in medical school and I was 
21 at the time. The next girl was 30 and the other one was 40. So we had a very wide range of, you know, people. One of them was from the 40 year old was from Louisiana. The other girl was from California. And now I'm going to school. I live in Queens. I'm going to school in Long Island. I'm going to clinical rotations in the city. I'm all over the place. But, you know, at night we would all come home and my roommates were like, hey, we're going to go to the gym. You want to come? Right. And I finally was like, all right, I'll go. You know, like, no one knows me here. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go on go on the elliptical, go on the treadmill, you know, whatever. And at the time, like, I couldn't even run for 30 minutes at a time. There was – it just wasn't happening. So I stuck to the ellipt- elliptical. And then um, I slowly moved to the treadmill, and I'm like, all right, I'll just do intervals. I'll run for a minute, walk for a minute, and kind of just do off and on. And then eventually my roommates were like, hey, they have a circuit over there. It's, it was like an eight-station thing that hit, mm-hmm. like, biceps, triceps, you know, hamstrings, quads. But it was eight machines, and you just went in a little circle, and they were all in one place. I'm like, okay, I don't have to think. I just go do some reps and whatever. So that's kind of how I started to work out. It was just with my roommates. It was kind of like our bonding moment. We would all go together. We would all come home together. And that's when I really, like, started to look at what I was eating, Mm. you know. And I don't – I mean, back then I had no idea what I needed to fuel my body. I had no idea, like, carbs, protein. I did all of – I did all the things, you know. I avoided carbs. I ate less. I restricted. I never skipped meals. I I was not the anorexic type. Like, I like to eat. I did that. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely restrict calories and avoid certain types of food or whatever. So that was um, grad school. So I graduated grad school in 2008, and then I started working um, in the Bronx. And um, I think the the point where I was like, oh, I did it all for the wrong reasons was uh, my friend from high school asked me to be in her wedding. She was like, hey, can you be in my wedding? I want you to be a bridesmaid. And literally, like, this is a thought <laughs> that went through my head. I was like, I can't be the fat one up there. Really? Like, wow. that's so sad. And I can't believe, like, saying it out loud, it sounds crazy. But that's what went through my head. I was like, I don't want to be the fat girl up there. Mm-hmm. I have to do something. And so one of the guys that I was working with at the time who, this is going to sound cr- very stereotypical, but I'm going to say it. He was Marine. 6'4", big black dude, like ripped, just, I mean, I, I swear they don't have to work for it. There's just, he's just naturally <laughs> like that. He's like, oh, I haven't worked out in a long time. Um, but one of my friends is a trainer. I was thinking about training with him. Do you want to train with me? He'll give us a deal. We do a dual session. Right. Here I am, you know, 5'4", 200 pounds, white girl standing next to this 6'4", like ripped black dude. He says he hasn't worked out recently. I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. You know, and I'm terrified, but I was like, I need to do something. Right. And so we we actually started training with him. Um, his name is Tim, and I love him to death. Uh, he gave us a huge deal in New York. Um, so I was fresh out of school. I was in debt with, you know, whatever. So he charged us for a dual session. I paid 40 bucks. Wow. For a one-on-one session. Well, I guess two-on-one. And that's how I started. And, you know, back then, I, I couldn't do box jump I mean stepping up was difficult for me you know but he did the whole thing he was like I'm gonna have you weigh in and this is probably the first time I'd weighed myself since middle school like I just I had no idea just avoided it entirely just avoided it I you know I doctor's appointments of course you know whatever but I just never really paid attention to that number um but weighed in and I was 194 pounds when I started with him Mm -hmm. so I lost weight since um high school because like I said in high school is like size 22 24 at that point I think I was like a size 18 size 20 so I'd lost some weight in high school and you know grad school working out whatever mm-hmm. but never really to- like z- honed in on it and so I worked with Tim for a year before the wedding before my friend's wedding like I said wrong reasons but 
with Tim, I was, I, you know, doing strength training, cardio, and, you know, he would tell, I would work out with him twice a week with my friend, um, David, and then I would go to the gym, and of course, on my own, I didn't know what to do, so I just did cardio, and that's what I did, so I did whatever he had me doing, which was everything, you know, box jumps, weights, push-ups, squats, you know, like, he had the whole thing, and he, he trained out of his house, so it was, you know, his gym, and then the days I didn't have him, I would go and do cardio, mm. but I also started paying attention to what I was eating, and I, I don't want to say that I was doing well with that because I still avoided, like, I ate minimal carbs. I avoided that stuff. I was like, I can't eat that, but I'll eat this. Mm-hmm. You know, I stuck to, like, tried to stick to, like, three meals a day. I did not eat dessert. I avoided it. I thought that if I had a cookie, I was going to gain 100 pounds, you know. So I was very strict in that sense. I, I mean, I can't even, I don't even know what I was eating back then, but I just know that it was not a healthy relationship. I had a lot of food anxiety, you know, eating like I said, cookies, dessert, I was like, oh, I'm going to gain 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now I have to go to the gym and run for an hour. Like, that's what went through my mind. So with Tim and working out with him and getting ready for my friend's wedding, I went from 194 pounds to about 150. Wow. So I lost 40, about 45 pounds with him. And, you know, I felt great. And at that point, and that, that was, like, always my goal. I was like, oh, I want to be 150. 150 that's all I want you know and then you get there and you're like oh no now I want to be this now I want to be that but I was feeling more comfortable in myself but the mental stuff that didn't go away you know like I still had social anxiety I still had anxiety eating around people and people the feeling that people were judging me if I was gonna have a burger if I was gonna have fries or you know that ice cream sundae or whatever like that mental stuff I never worked on I just figured that it would go away Mm -hmm. when I got to a certain weight but what I found was when I got to that weight, I wanted more. I wanted mm-hmm. to lose more. I wanted to do this, and I wanted, you know, that. And so it was difficult, you know, but that's how my journey started. But in that journey with Tim, I also started to look at my family, you know, like my family suffers from, they have heart disease. Um, my, we have cancer. We have diabetes. We have all of these, all of these health issues. And I'm like, I don't want to be that. You know, I didn't. And so that was one of the things that like kept me going, I think, is, you know, seeing my family. My dad had his first heart attack when I was in eighth grade. He had a second heart attack when I was in perfusion school and grad school. And working in the field that I worked in, I was like, I don't want to be the next cardiac patient. I don't want to be on blood pressure medication. I don't want all of that for my life. So my my like start of being in my friend's wedding slowly shifted to I want to be healthy you know I don't Mm. want to cut my my lifespan in half because of my weight so I continued doing that um that was kind of how I started Tim got me down to where I was and then unfortunately I moved so I stopped training with Tim I never would have stopped and then I kind of hit a plateau where I was just the same weight again like I didn't know what to do so I was still just doing cardio all the time and then I'm and you know I had gained some weight and I'm like all right let me go back to a trainer I worked out with one trainer for a little bit and didn't really see results she wasn't I feel like I'm one of those people that's driven by you got to push me like I will do what you're you're telling me to do but I'm gonna bitch about it but I'm gonna do it and I need someone (laughs) to like really like drive me like you know and like not let me get like if I whine you're gonna say okay you don't have to do that you know whatever like no make me do it I want you to do that and this trainer just didn't have that in her so and I'm also like so worried about what people think that I couldn't like say I don't want to train with you anymore so I just kind of let it go and was like 
paying for a trainer that was I wasn't getting results with. Mm-hmm. And so eventually she left and I got put with another trainer. She recommended and her name was Sheila and I was terrified of her. Like I used to see her training her clients and I was like, there's no way I can do what she does. There's no way she's going to kill me. And then I met her and she was in the bodybuilding um, world. She did bodybuilding. She did fitness competitions, bikini competitions and all that. And man, she put me through the ringer. But she also started me a little bit on the mindset of thinking mm. I can and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So she, so I was on the journey with, like, health-wise. But then when I started training with her, it was a lot of stop saying I can't. Okay. And so it started there. And, you know, in, in training with Sheila, I also um, tore the cartilage in my ankle. <laughs> had to have surgery and that was the worst day of the world I I cried for an entire day and like you think that I'm being exact no I cried for an entire day really wow and it wasn't because I had to have surgery it was because I thought that I was gonna gain weight so it was out of fear it was out of fear I thought Mm -hmm. that if I had surgery I wasn't gonna be able to run anymore I wasn't gonna be able to work out I would gain every pound that I lost really and that's literally what went through my mind wow and that again, like saying it out loud, I'm like, that's so crazy. Like, what is wrong with you? Why would you think that? You know, but that's what I thought. And, um, you, you know, didn't know better at the time. Though. I did not know better at the yeah. time. You know, I didn't have a, a positive mindset. I was very negative. Mm-hmm. I beat myself. I mean, as much as weight that I had lost, I didn't see that. I didn't look at that. I looked at where I wanted to go, where, what else need I, what else I needed to lose weight on or tone or fix or whatever. And not at one point did it ever cross my mind that I need to work on my mindset. Yeah. Maybe be grateful for how far you've come. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be, yeah, it did not cross my mind. I was just like, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, I blamed like my weight on, you know, if something didn't happen or if a relationship didn't happen, I'm not skinny enough. I'm not oh, smart really? enough. Wow. I'm not this. I'm not that. And I, I never just thought about the mindset and changing that emotional relationship with food, with fitness and everything, really. So when I had surgery on my ankle, went through an emotional roller coaster for a day, and it was Sheila who literally said, she, she was like, you need to snap out of it. She's like, cry for a day if you need to cry, but then fucking get over it and pull yourself together. And I was like, Okay. I like yeah. Sheila. Yeah, she sounds she, nice. She was she was great. And honestly, <laughs> like if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have gotten through that surgery because I had the surgery, and then like the, for like seven or eight days, ten days, I was in a splint, so I couldn't. They didn't want you sweating. They didn't want you moving a whole lot. It was literally you get up when you have to go to the bathroom. You get up when you get something to drink. But I was non weight bearing for ten weeks. Ten weeks. Ten weeks. Wow. And so I, of course, in my head, you know, I was like, I'm going to die. Like, this is terrible. I'm not going to be able to work out, whatever. But Sheila literally, um, after the 10 days where they wanted me just to kind of lay up, Sheila was like, all right. 10 days, not 10 weeks. 10 days was when I, they didn't want me doing anything other than going to the bathroom and like getting up to eat. They wanted me like up, my foot up. Okay. But I was 10 weeks in um, on crutches. Okay, gotcha. So after the 10 days where they were like, oh, you don't need to, you need to like lay down and elevate your foot, whatever. Sheila was like, all right, so we're going to work out twice a week and I, you will sit on a bench and I will bring everything to you. And I was like, all right, can't be that bad. So that's literally what I did. I, and the, so the days that I worked out with Sheila, you know, one day would be, biceps and tries, I don't know, back and chest. Those were, and I literally sat on a bench and she would bring me weights and she um, had whole workouts for me that I could do just sitting down. And then after I had my session with her, and I still don't know what this machine is called, but it's the rope machine where you like it, 
literally a machine and you can just pull the rope to work your upper body. Yeah, it just never ends. You're just pulling. You can change the resistance and this and that. So I would do interval work on that with my upper body. I would do like a minute on that. And then I would do core work. I would lie on the bench and do some abs. And I would do that for 20 minutes. And I would do that every day just to get out of my house. So I worked out with Sheila twice a week. And then I would go to the gym just to get out of my house and do this stupid rope bike, which or rope machine that I do not recommend to anyone. It's great. It's brutal. But it's brutal. Yeah. It's like (laughs) Jacob's ladder with a rope. Yeah, it never ends. And it's just like... It, it, it's amazing how much you can make that burn. So I would do that. And I really, I mean, looking back now, I was overly restrictive on my diet. I had three meals a day. Breakfast was literally Greek yogurt, protein, and some fruit, and a scoop of peanut butter. Lunch was, I don't remember this so well, was like tuna, raw vegetables, and fruit. And then dinner, this is, this is, this is what make you laugh. I Googled fat burning recipe for soup <laughs> or soup yeah specifically so, yeah, yeah i was like something i really just i i don't remember like what i googled but that's what came up it was this like fat burning like cabbage soup guarantees you'll burn fat if you and i was like all right perfect that's what i'm gonna eat that's my so jam. i would make this huge pot of this like cabbage soup, which was actually really good and i would eat it but and that's what i would have for dinner and then my cheat or my dessert would be a scoop full of peanut butter mm-hmm. Retro- retrospectively looking at it i'm like i definitely didn't have enough fat in my diet didn't have enough carbs you know nothing but i actually lost weight and i was thrilled go figure um actually during that time i got down to my lowest weight um and i also lost muscle because i wasn't walking so my right. legs were you know pretty but i got all the way down to like 135 and to oh. me i was like oh i'm in the 130s this is amazing mm-hmm. and i was so ha- proud of myself but you know i don't know why but that's what it was. So that's so far past your original goal of 150 though. Yeah, were exactly. you, were you happy at 135? Did you find yourself like grateful for being there or no? I was happy, but at the same time I was like, well, if I can get this far, what else can I do? You know? And like, you know, and I don't, I don't know. Happy is like relative because I thought I was, but looking back, no, I wasn't, you know, like I still was so anxious around fitness and food and my body that I wasn't happy, you know, and I still had an unhealthy version of what I could be and what I should be. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't think that I was happy. And then, you know, once I started walking again, I'm like, oh, great. Now I can eat. And I started gaining weight, obviously right away. Right. Um, and this all happened in 2014 is when I had surgery. And then ironically, like, my sister had a baby. I'm like, oh, I got, now I want to move home. So now, like, I, that all happened in, like, the summer of 2014. And by I went home right after I had surgery on my ankle to see my sister. And, of course, my family was like, wow, you're super thin. Because I was in the 130s, never been there in my life. But I met my nephew for the first time. And I'd always been in Arizona. And, like, I, my parents were great, but I don't have a great relationship with my parents. Mm-hmm. And so I was always, you know, when I would go home, I was, like, always ready to go back to New York. I was, like, all right, saw my family, ready to go. But when I held my nephew and I saw my sister, my sister's a doctor, and she was living in the Pacific Northwest. She had just moved home because she had a baby, and our family and his family are all from Arizona, and they're, like, leading our family around. I held my nephew, and I'm, like, shit, I'm moving back to Arizona. Like, (laughs) I spent 10 days with her, and my nephew's name is Ben, and Ben, and I'm, like, I want to be around. Like, I want him to know who I am. And so um, I actually, for the first time, when I was going back to New York, I was crying. I was like, I don't want to leave. I, this is where I want to be. I want to be with my nephew. I want to be with my sister. My sister's my best friend. And so at that point, I was like, all right, I got to 
I got to get home. Like, I need to figure out how to get to Arizona. And um, we'll get to my career later. But it's a small profession, so it's hard to find jobs, especially in Arizona. Like, I lived in New York for nine years. And I started working in 2008. And every year, I would look to see if there was a job. Really? Like, is there a job? And there was never anything posted in Arizona. There was one time in 2012, and I called. And, you know, the the perfusionist, the chief, he was like, we just posted it because we had to, but it's filled already. And I was like, cool all word of mouth so I'm like I have to like start making connections whatever so that was in August and I just literally got on LinkedIn and I started messaging people I didn't know and I'm it was easy because I it was all on the computer but you know some of the doctors that I worked with at my job I'd been there for seven years they knew me really well they had connections in Arizona they put me in touch so I started making connections and um I interviewed in December with with a group here and it was a a slap in the face of an offer for salary. And I was just like, I can't do that. Like I, I own a place. I had bought a place. I had bought a condo in New York, um, right before my ankle surgery. Mm. And so I like just, I'm a new, first time homeowner. I'm like huge pay cut. I'm like, I can't do that. And I had heard terrible things about this guy. And I was just like, all right, I can't take this job. So then I go back and I am now, I work in the hospital and I was taking care of a patient and um, my patient's brother is from, he's from Arizona, he's a nurse practitioner and I took care of his brother and he was like, let me put you in touch with the cardiac surgeon that I know and maybe he can get you a job. Long story short, it worked out. I came in um, in January 2015 back to Arizona during the Super Bowl. So my flight was real expensive I bet, but yeah. I was like I have to do this and I got offered the job and I took it so but with credentialing I didn't end up moving back until July of 2015 and in that time you know like going out with friends saying goodbye I I built a family in New York that was you know not blood related but they were my family right. like I spent holidays with them and this and that so I was going out a lot I was drinking a lot which I don't typically do I was eating a lot. And so from that move and, you know, big changes, people go through, like, that's a huge change, moving from New York where I've lived for nine years, built, like, my career, built family, built friends, moved across the country by myself, you know, and yeah, I had my friends from college here, my sister was here, but that was nine years ago that I've been with them. So it's it was a huge change and, you know, seeing all them so easily packed on about 10 pounds just in the process of moving from New York to Arizona and um, I had always wanted to try CrossFit um, in New York my my best friend had done it but I was so happy with my training with Sheila I I had great results we had a great relationship and Sheila to this day is one of my best friends and so I never wanted to leave her to try CrossFit because just paying for both was out of the question so I figured I was like all right I'm gonna move to back home and now I don't have a gym I don't have a trainer I'm gonna try CrossFit because now I have a gym and a trainer all in one you know right and so I, when I was in New York still living, I had researched a few. I didn't really know where I was going to live yet. I moved, I lived with my sister, and so I emailed a bunch of, I emailed a few CrossFits, um, one of which was CrossFit PHX, and Michael responded immediately, super welcoming. You know, he asked me if I had any questions. He told me, you know, they, you could drop in for a week for free, just let him know when I was coming, and very welcoming environment. I was like, okay, cool. Mind you, I'm still super uncomfortable in my head. I have social anxiety, intimidated, you know. And people don't know that, you know, at least to my knowledge. I'm like, people don't recognize that, you know. So I moved home. I got back to Phoenix on, like, a Friday, and I started work on Monday. Stupid planning. Um, but started work on Monday, and then I had emailed Michael and told him I was going to come on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. And he was like, all right, great. He's like, Caleb's coaching. You know, you'll be, you know, you'll be good. You'll be taken care of. 
And I remember walking in, and this was four years ago, so mm-hmm. PHX is very different now, and there's like a futon, and big open gym, and I remember walking in and seeing all these buff, fit people, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna hide. Like, I was so scared to even, like, whatever, but then, like, Caleb's literally across the gym on the other side of the gym, and he's like, oh, hi, and he comes waltzing over his coaching class, and I was like, oh, I was like, okay. Again, he's a coach. He's great shape. I'm like, oh God, don't, don't, but don't be an idiot. Like, don't, uh, don't say anything stupid, you know, whatever. But I was really quiet. He introduced himself to me and told me, you know, just, you know, classes, I'm going to finish coaching this class. We'll have you sign in and do the waiver and all this and whatever. So I started class and I don't, people are always like, oh, I remember my first cross at work. <laughs> no idea. No clue. I was so like You're too nervous. too busy being anxious. Too busy being anxious yeah. and wondering who's staring at me, who's judging me and you know, whatever. Really? Wow. And I will forever remember. It's funny what the things you remember, but like the two people that spoke to me in class was one guy, um, Brendan, he introduced himself to me. He's like, are you new? I'm like, yeah, it's my first day. I don't really know what I'm doing. And I remember at the time, Michael didn't have enough rigs. So we had like those portable rigs that you had to like scoot out. Yep. I was struggling with that. So he's like, let me help you. So Brendan helped me and he was super, he was great. Like I was just like, oh, thank you so much, you know. And then another one was Laura, who um, was a coach. I didn't know she was a coach at the time, but she was very helpful, like pointing things out to me, this and that. And then someone had said, oh, she has to be nice to you. She's a coach. And she's like, I would be nice anyway. Um, but someone that, said that to Yeah, you. someone said that to me. And I was just like, well, okay. But, you know, walking into CrossFit, I was so intimidated. And now, like, I understand, like, coming from where I came from. I mean, yeah, I wasn't 200 pounds anymore, but I had lost weight. And now I'd gained weight. And I was, like, really uncomfortable. I didn't know anybody. And in my head, I'm seeing all of these really fit people. And I'm like, I'm barely using the barbell. Like, I'm using the 15-pound barbell. You Mm -hmm. know, so I was super anxious and just intimidated. But everyone was so nice. And then after class, Caleb introduced me to Michael, the owner, and um, who, if you don't know Michael, big black dude, tatted and like just whatever. And I'm just like, oh God, this is terrifying. <laughs> and he was super nice. He was he was great, you know. And in my head, I have built up all these like things about these people that are in great shape, that lift weights, that do this, that they've they've got to be like cocky, they've got to be jerks, they've got to be judgmental, and they've got to be this little group and that's what I had in my head right and now I walk into CrossFit and I met a handful of people and I'm like they're super nice they're super encouraging I'm like okay but still I'm like I'm not there I'm not at their level I'm nowhere close I can't work out with these people you know whatever but Michael was again super friendly and I was mm-hmm. like all right I'm gonna sign up I'll just you know I'll do it and he was like, you sure he's like, and I was like yeah and I had the conversation with him I'm like I don't want to get bulky I don't want to get bigger <laughs> and so then Michael pointed out to the girls in the gym yeah. do you think she's bulky do you think she's bigger? every than girl has that same conversation coming in yeah oh yeah for sure yeah how do we so get too big okay well that's good because you won't yeah, you won't. It's fine. You'll be you'll be okay. So I signed up and I started and I got to be honest, I was not that person that instantly fell in love with CrossFit. I hated it. I was <laughs> like, this is painful. My entire body hurts all the time and I'm getting bigger. And I was, you know, like I said, like I was going out a lot with friends. I was drinking more than I usually do. I wasn't eating great. And so I started on the on the uh, restrictive side and I was like, okay, I got to get back. I need to start losing weight again. I need to like get back on my diet. And so I was going to CrossFit and I was, I'll tell you what I was eating. This is great. So let's hear it. Breakfast. Lay it was, <laughs> breakfast was a protein bar and coffee. Okay. Lunch was a protein bar. And then I would go to do CrossFit. That's Dead it. tired. Was that like 400 calories? <laughs> maybe. If that, you know what? I don't even know. And then dinner, you know, would be some kind of protein, some vegetable, no fat. Like I would not, mm-hmm. 
I can't remember the last time I ate butter. I was like, there's no way. Like, I just can't. Because like, fat makes you fat, right? Like, that was what was that's in my the, head. Yeah, that's what people think, yeah. So I started going to CrossFit more regularly. Everything hurt. And it got to the point where I was just like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I'm tired. I'm in pain. And I'm afraid to go get a burger with a friend. Like, I, I knew that I had anxiety with with food. I knew that I had some kind of eating disorder. I'd never di been diagnosed with it. I'd never talked to someone about it, but I knew it was there. And I knew that eventually the only way to get better was to deal with it. Right, right. And like I said at the beginning of, um, of our conversation, um, Michael is a very welcoming person. And I don't know why, I don't know what it is about him, but I was able to talk to him, you know, and I showed up to class for four o'clock class, I'd show up at three o'clock and Michael and I would sit at the window and, you know, chat about anything, you know, like he, he jokes all the time now about coffee talks. I, we had window talks and I, you know, and I was comfortable telling him like, this is where I was, you know, I showed him pictures from when I was in high school and he didn't even recognize me. He's like, really? That's you? And I was like, yeah, you know, that's where I've come. But in my head, I'm like, I am still that person. Like when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see the progress that I had made. Yeah. I had seen, I look at it and I'm like, okay, well I need to do this now. I need to do that. Like I need to get better. And I never really focused on the emotional part of what I was dealing with. Um, mm -hmm. So on the outside, the shell had changed, but the inside, you know, same old, yeah, same old the shit. nudity center was still there, right? <laughs> it was still there. Still and there. I don't, I don't remember what my breaking point was, like where I was like, I need help with this. Mm -hmm. And it was probably just com the multiple conversations with Michael. And like, like I said before, like I will go to the gym every single day. I will go, I will tell you what you want to, like what you, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And I will do it to the best of my ability. But I couldn't get around the diet and the food and, you know, the eating and this and that. And so I was like, I have to deal with it. Like, this is not healthy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I finally went to Michael and I was like, I need help. And he was like, what do you need help with? And you know, in his head, he's like training or what? I was like, no, I was like, do you know like a nutrition coach or someone that can give me advice on nutrition? But not only that, I was like, I need help with the emotional side of it. Right. Like, I don't know if there's a combination or if there, if I need to see a therapist versus like a nutritionist, but I didn't know where to go. And it's like a, a doctor, like picking a needle in a haze. You don't know what you're getting. And I figured right. talking to Michael, who's well-known in the community, has a lot of connections, I would find something. And he, without hesitation, recommended uh, working against gravity. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, okay, so I'll try that. And of course there was a wait list, so I couldn't get into it right away. So, so then- So for those of us who don't know, oh. or the, yeah, I mean, WAG, working against gravity, it's a, it's a great coaching program. Right, and I'm gonna screw up her name, but the owner is a D, I can't say her last name. That's but, all right, put uh, in the show notes. What? We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not even going to try because I'll butcher it. And she's great, and I don't want to butcher it. Yeah. But so it's um, Adie. She's a CrossFitter, weightlifter. Mm -hmm. She started a nutrition business based off macros, so counting macros. And at the time, I had no idea what macros was either. So if you don't know, you're not alone. So it's a way, it's your macronutrients, your protein, your carbs, and your fat which make up your calorie intake. And so they kind of, um, you when you sign up for working against gravity, they assign you a coach. The coach will fill out a long questionnaire about you know what you're eating now, your activity levels, what your goals are, and all that sort of thing. And they'll set macros for you, your goals for the for your daily intake. And that is all done based on weighing your food. Right. So I did, so that, and that's how they, they run. So it's, it's, it's counting calories, but in a, broken down kind of way so that you're getting enough protein, carbs, and fat. Right. So um, that w so Michael was like, it's a great organization, you know, and I didn't really, in hindsight, like at the time I was like, okay, so they're going to tell me what I need to eat. You know, I didn't really think about 
the coaching on the, the mental part of it yet. Like I knew that I needed help with that. And I was like, well, somehow I'll learn to my relationship with food and what I need and this and that. So like I said, like I got sidelined cause it was, um, a wait list. So I went to Kayla, one of the um, CrossFit coaches who I was close with. He was the first coach that I had at CrossFit. I always went to his classes. So I was closest with him and I was like, Caleb, like I need help, like figuring out what I need to eat. Like I'm not eating carbs I'm avoiding this and I'm avoiding that so he he had me he was like I want you to like put together just what you're eating in a a couple days and send it to me and his first words were you are not eating enough I was like what and he was like you are not eating enough so he was like this is what I want so he gave me these goals and I remember it just being insane I was like you want me to eat what and I was incredible because I think I was probably eating a thousand to twelve hundred calories if that right you know And he set me at like 1,800. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's crazy. I can't eat that much food. And he was like, no, you can. So he started me on like tracking and like weighing my food and this and that. And then um, fast forward a couple weeks, I've been doing that. I felt better because I had more energy, but I wasn't really like too thrilled with eating as much carbs as I was eating. I was terrified of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Michael's wife actually uh, had started WAG and I had noticed changes in her body. I didn't know she had started WAG, but I said to, like, I pulled her aside and I was like, you're looking really good. Like, what are you doing? She's like, you know, honestly, I I joined WAG and I've lost six pounds in two weeks. Mm. And I was like, huh. I'm like, well, and I, mind you, like, Nicole, I admired so much. Like, I didn't know her very well when I first started CrossFit. I had just seen her numbers on the on the board, knew that she was married to Michael, and I was like, she's great. She's super – I was so intimidated by her, so she was like – I really admired everything that she did. So when she told me that she did that, I was like, all right, I got to, like, really get into this. And I mm-hmm. literally, the day before, I got an email for WAG that the a spot had opened up and I could sign up, and I was actually going to bypass it because I was like, eh, I'm doing this with Caleb. I'll be okay. So when she told me that, I was like, all right, I'll do this. Right. So I did WAG. I signed up. I got a great coach. I love her to death. Um, and she set my macros. Again, I was kind of like, holy shit, this is a lot of food. But I started. And um, she told me to be patient with it, you know, sort of weighing my food every day, whatever. And um, I didn't notice results right away, you know. The, the one thing that I did notice immediately was my energy. You know, like I was no longer walking in across it thinking I can't do this workout. I'm so tired. I was walking in like, oh, I'm, this is going to be great. Like I have energy. I was feeling good in my workouts. I was recovering better. And honestly, I probably went up initially uh, because of the carb intake that I wasn't eating before and, you know, water weight and this and that. But, you know, the thing that was the best part of working with against gravity for me was my coach and the mindset Mm -hmm. and the shift, the slow shift that she had me start, you know, like she knew that the number on the scale gave me anxiety. She knew that food gave me anxiety. She knew all of those things because we had talked about it. And, you know, she, one of the things that she had me do was, you know, instead of saying you gained a pound or like whatever, say, I got to squat this today or, you know, like because of this, I could do this, you know, and she sort of had me start focusing on the things that were going well versus the stuff that I thought was negative. Yeah. And the new capabilities that you had acquired, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And so I worked with um, them for about a year and I, I, like I said, like I didn't start seeing changes in my body for a while. Like I started with them in October, which is a terrible month for me to start because it's my birthday. It's my sister's birthday, my parents' anniversary. And it's like all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go out and this is going to be terrible and (laughs) you know, whatever. But, um, I went through the holidays and it was the first holiday season that I didn't gain weight. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't like, I still had anxiety about what I was going to eat when I was going to eat this and that. 
but I had a good time. Like I didn't track on Thanksgiving. I didn't track on Christmas. I didn't track on New Year's, but I listened to my body. You know, there, mm-hmm. I, um, I would go in, if I had a plate of cookies in front of me in the past, I would eat every single freaking cookie. Every one, even if I was full, I was like, oh, I can have one more. I can have one more. And I would just keep going until I like couldn't move. Like I remember one Thanksgiving with my best friend and her family, we ate so much that we could not move. Like my stomach hurt <laughs> so bad. I just laid on the floor. Yeah. I was like, this is terrible. Why Why do I do this to myself? But that's what I would do because I was like, oh, I'm going to do it today, but tomorrow I'm going to go to doing nothing. Like, I can't eat any of this ever again. So WAG taught me that I can. You know, like, I can have a cookie. I can have ice cream. I can have all of this stuff that I used to fear. Yeah, and everything fear in moderation, for yeah. sure. And fear to the point where I was like, okay, well, if I have that, I have to go do an hour on the treadmill tomorrow. So talk a little bit about your mindset as you're experiencing this change, right? Because you were talking about how you went from, you know, afraid of carbs. I can't eat carbs. <laughs> carbs are going to kill me and I'm going to, uh, you know, gain 50 pounds at one at one sitting, right? And then you'd binge on cookies or whatever and then feel bad, whatever. You know, and you mentioned the word disorder, you know. So how are you starting to see yourself, you know, in your relationship with food change as you start working with uh, working against gravity and, uh, you know, Caleb inside the context of the gym and then applying your trade, you know, outside the gym and doing the work yourself. Did you start to see yourself differently? I think I did. Um, but it's a slow process, you know, for anybody that has ever struggled with their weight or body image issues or food relationship with food, those thoughts never go away. Mm. Even to this day, like I am four years into tracking my macros or three and a half into tracking my macros and those negative thoughts still come into my head. Like when I, um, like uh, tomorrow, I'm going to the pumpkin patch with my family and right now I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, well, what's going to be there? What can I eat? And I have to stop myself because I'm like, it's okay. It's one day. Listen to your body. And so in this process, that's what I found myself doing more and more was, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't really focused on my mind. I wasn't really focused on that sort of stuff, but my coach got me to focus on that, you know, and thinking, okay, so you're going to go to dinner with your friends. That's fine. That's great. You should go and you should have a good time and you shouldn't worry about tracking. Be mindful. Yeah. Like you don't need to eat until you're uncomfortable. You don't need to drink until you're uncomfortable. And that was the other thing. Like I, um, I was so worried about what people would think that like I drank because other people were drinking. Well, it's, it's interesting that you brought up some of those, you know, programming slash stories slash beliefs that are going through your head right Mm -hmm. and then you 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 hit on something super key which you said it never goes away right (laughs) it never goes away and I think people a lot of times have this belief that if well if I do enough of this that the other thing if I read enough books if I meditate enough if I do enough personal development seminars then all of that stuff's just going to go away but the reality is that it doesn't you just become aware of it and now you can dance with it for sure and I think that's that's spot on is you're aware of it, you recognize it, and now you have tools to deal with it. Yeah. And you know what you can do to avoid going backwards. Yeah. And that's huge. That was, you know, everyone, I like, I hate to say this, but like everyone tells me like they'll make com- comments on like my progress and where I've come in my body and like my fitness, which is great. Like I would never not want someone to tell me like I'm doing a great job. Like, but the other thing that like now, cause now I'm no longer working with working against gravity. I now I'm working with macros and Metcons, which is now I'm a nutrition coach for, but I'll get to that. Um, like my coaches, they tell me like your mindset has changed so drastically. You no longer, you know, dive head in on like on a day that you're not tracking like you 
know that you can have a cookie, you can have this, you can have that big bowl of spaghetti if you want to have it that day, you know, and you don't beat yourself up for it. And I, I never used to take rest days because I thought that I would, I would derail myself. I, I you know, I thought if I took one day from the gym that right, I was right. gonna, I, it was going to the same the thing CrossFit as the CrossFit curse. Yeah. It was like, if rest. I take one day off, like I'm going to lose all of my progress, you know? <laughs> but so like you said, like you become aware of it. Like it starts creeping up in, in your mind and you're like, no, like I don't need to think about that, you know? And there's good days, there's bad days, there's off weeks, there's, you know, whatnot. But having the tools and I think the support and the people in your life are invaluable. Like there's just nothing better than having that and being able to change that. 100%. So, I mean, sitting across from me now, right? Like I didn't know you when you were quote unquote the fat kid, <laughs> right? Like that was before our time together. Yeah. And, and you're sitting across from me, obviously in amazing shape, probably feeling great about your progress and yourself, right? You know, so I'm just, you know, there, there's nothing in me that would guess that you've gone through this journey, you know, because you're not presenting that person to me now. Right now, obviously, you've told me a little bit about the internals that you're dealing with. Right. Mm -hmm. But what would you say to someone who, you know, is is in the struggle and hasn't had your success yet? Like, how do you reach that person? Um, honestly, it, and it's funny that you say that, because when. I meet somebody for the first time, I automatically th assume, I'm like, they know that I was fat. <laughs> and I, that sounds so stupid when I say it out loud, but I'm like, anybody that I meet for the first time, I'm like, they know my past, they know that I was fat, now I'm not. Like, it's just, it's just so stupid, because I'm like, I, I'm like, I have scars, and I, like, I have like, issues in my body that I'm like, that, you, if you look at that, you know that I've lost weight, you know, whatever, but people don't see me that way, right. but I do, and it's like, in my head, I have to like, correct that, and be like, you're not that same person anymore but for people that are going through it or trying to start or I mean the biggest thing for me has been like it doesn't happen overnight everybody wants that quick fix that like oh I'm gonna do this and then tomorrow I'm gonna be down five pounds or right. I'm gonna try this pill and this is gonna make me and I'll tell you I did try fat burner pills and I did all of that stuff I mean you name it I tried it the only thing I did not do was I was never bulimic mm -hmm. and I never was anorexic I mean I, was, I guess I was anorexic to an extent I didn't eat certain meals I would skip or whatever but I fad diets I tried it you know and this has been the only thing that's been sustainable and so like my advice to people that are going through or trying to start is patience is huge like you have to be patient you're give yourself time your body to adjust to things, try new things, ask for help, um, patience, consistency. Consistency is so key. Like, you can, what is that? You can go to the gym every day. You can't outrun a bad diet. Yeah, you can't outrun a bad diet. Yeah. yeah. Consistency is key, you know. Like, like I said to you, I said to Michael, I said to my coach, like, I'll go to the gym every day. But my nutrition and my relation with food, like, I need help with that. And was I perfect? No. Not by any means. There were good days. There was bad days. I went through a binging phase during this whole process where I was like, okay, well, I'm not tracking today, so I'm just going to eat everything, <laughs> you know? And it happens, but, like, getting back to being consistent and patience and support. Like, sure. I wouldn't be here without... CrossFit PHX, the owner, Michael, the coaches, Caitlin, and I I had a really good network of support and, you know, people that were there for me, pushing me. And the other thing for me is, like, like I said, like, I, you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. Like, I had a lot of people, like, rooting for me that I didn't know. 
I had no idea. Like people looked up to me. I didn't think about that. It wasn't, it was always like, I need to get better. I need to get better. So, um, that's weird for me still, but key is consistency, patience, and grace. Give yourself grace. 100%. Yeah. I mean, consistency wins all battles. For sure. And you mentioned, you know, the good days and the bad days. I'm curious if you can bring to mind what a bad day looks like for you. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) The days you don't want to work out, you don't want, you want to eat everything. Um, you know, during this process, you know, I, I had mentioned that my my goal in life was to get to 150. And then once I got to 150, I wanted to be 140. And then once I got to 140, I wanted to be 130s. And that number is just that. It's a number. It doesn't mean anything. But for some reason, like even with all the, all the progress I've made and everything I've gone through, it still fucks with me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm... So I'm not at the smallest weight I've ever been. Like right now, I bounce between 139, 140, 141, 142. But my pants and my clothes are the smallest I've ever worn. Like I used to be, like I said, a size 20, size 18, down to 12, down to an 8. And even at this weight, four years ago when I lived in New York, I was about 140 to 145 was kind of what I fluctuated at. Mm -hmm. I was a size 8, size 10, size, I don't don't think I got into a size 6. And now I currently wear a size 4. Wow. Um, depending on the pants, of course. But um, of course. But that is, and you look at the scale, and it's the same it was five years ago when I was wearing a size eight. So I think that you know I have a love hate relationship with the scale because my body is so much different than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Like my muscle mass versus my fat versus this and that is so different that that number is just a number. You know, yeah. like you need to focus more on how your clothes are fitting, how you're feeling, how you're sleeping, how, you know, like you go through your workouts, this and that. And that's what I focus on. And that's what I've cho- cho- um, chose to focus on or choose to focus on. But there are there are days where I, get on, I wake up and I, I weigh myself pretty regularly. I still do counting macros. I work with macros and macons with Caitlin as my coach. So I do weigh myself regularly. There are some weeks where I get on the scale and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, did it just go up? Like, why is it going up? I don't understand. And it's and it's dumb because it means nothing. There are so many things that affect why that number goes up, your salt intake, your workout, if you're, you know, inflamed, if you're not sleeping, and all of this stuff. But there's days where I just look at that, and I'm like, wow, why? And I actually had that week last week. I, it was it was up, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on. And I then all of a sudden I start thinking in my head, I'm like, well, if it's on the scale, I must look at that. I must feel that. Like, people must see that. And so then I get down on myself, and I start down this, like, mental spiral, and I'm like, no, like, you have to stop. Like, this is an off day. Like, you're not doing anything different. There's no way that you can gain a pound of fat overnight. Like, that's <laughs> not going to happen unless I ate 7,000 calories, which right, is not right. possible either, you know? Yeah. So, like, and that's what it is. It's, you know, like, people, like you said, you looked at me, and you didn't know my past, and you never, it never would have crossed your mind. Not once. But that daily battle in my head with that, with that number that oh, happened to me all last week, no one knew about it. The only person I knew about it was Caitlin, you know, because I had had those conversations with her. She's my coach, and that's who I talked to about it. And I don't outwardly tell people that because I don't, people don't need to know that, you know. Sure. But it does happen to everybody. It's not, you know, I'm not going to be sit here and say that it's peachy and roses. I feel great about myself every single day. No. That's <laughs> not how it works. Right. But, you know, with that, I was feeling bloated I was feeling outside of myself not at my best but I didn't let that stop me from doing what I'd ever do every day like I could have very easily 
thrown up my hands and said, well, it's not working, so fuck it. I'm just going to eat this. I'm go- not going to work out or I'm going to do, you know, whatever. And I didn't do that, and I stopped doing that. You know, I'm like, okay, this isn't a great week for me. I don't feel great, but I'm still going to continue what I do every day. So I still track my macros. I still d- went and did my workouts, you know. And last week happened to be test week at CrossFit, and we were doing rem- one rep maxes, and, you know, I, d- I didn't hit any. I hit one on Friday, and all the other ones I was like – all right, well, this is what it is. Right. But I still did the workouts. I still went through it, and I still kept telling myself, you are fine. You are doing fine. And that's kind of, you know, that mental self-talk is just something that I've never done before. I've just mm. let myself abuse myself, okay, right. and I've learned not to do that. You know, that's and fantastic. learning that every day is not going to be my best day. Yeah, well, it comes back to that idea of consistency Consistency wins all battles, A. and But B, when you see that, quote on almost every gym that says trust the process (laughs) trust the process right like this ethereal word of god is plastered on the wall or whatever it's like what the fuck does that mean well that's exactly what it means you just said that right it's like you're gonna have those weeks where you're where you fluctuate that's just normal life for sure you know and you have to trust that what you're doing you can if it's not working for you you can pivot and if it is working for you it'll come out in the wash you know it'll be fine in the end for sure and i mean I know that we, you're, you work a lot with this, and um, people always ask, like, how, how do you do it? And uh, mindset is so important, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I'll give you an, a good example, and Michael will love this. Um, and I think I told, may have told you this before when we first met, but I went through my life thinking I can't. I went through my life letting my weight hold me back and letting it be like, oh, I can't do that because I'm too big. I can't do that. I can't try this. Like, I was afraid to do anything because of my weight, you know, just because I didn't think I could. And so I work with Michael now on the side. We do, you know, one-on-one sessions. And that's, for me, just goals that I, you know, I want to get better at gymnastics. I want to be able to do certain things in the gym, like, on my own. And Michael has a good way of doing that, you know. So, and the other thing about Michael is he's very big on mindset. And I have worked with him probably a little, like a year now. So he knows me really well, you know, like from our talks, from working out in classes and now doing one-on-one sessions with him, he knows me really well. He knows my breaking points. He knows what, what reps are manageable, what weights are manageable. And he pushes me on that, which is great because I wouldn't do it on my own. And that's kind of why I need him as a coach. Cause I do want to push myself, but I won't do it unless I have someone next to me doing it. Right. And he had me do this workout. And I'll never forget it. <laughs> I mean, it, this wasn't that long ago, but it'll it'll forever be with me. But it was rowing. I have never been a good rower. I'm a short person. Don't have good technique. I go out hot, and I, like, lose steam, you know, <laughs> everything. And, like, all the thoughts go through your mind of why am I doing this? Like, I suck at this, whatever it is, you know. So I get to my one-on-one session, and Michael's like, all right, we warm up. And he's like, I want you to row 500 max effort on the rower. And I'm like, oh, 500. I'm not, that's fine. I can do that. So I did. And that, little did I know, that was what he was using for, for a pace setting. Right, so right. then he was like, okay, you're going to rest for a little bit. And I was like, and then what? He's like, you're going to row 2,000 meters at this pace. And I just stared at him, and I was like, mm, I can't do that. That's, that's, no, that's, no, I can't. And he was like, no, you can. And so he set up the rower, and I don't know if you, like, if you see the rower, you have, like, the beat the boat. Right. So he set the boat at a pace, and I had just to say above the boat. And I was like, all right. I was like, and in my head, the whole time, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I literally was defeated before I started. Absolutely. And it was, and Michael knew it. He knew, but he's standing next to me and I'm rowing. He's screaming at me and I'm almost in tears. Like I'm fighting the tears. I'm trying. But in my head, I kept, keep telling myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
And so I finished the 2000 and I did not beat the boat. I fell off the rower, almost in tears, but I hit a PR. It was fast as I'd ever rode before. And I was like, all right, you know, whatever. I'm on the floor, like almost in tears, thinking I can't believe he did this to me. And he was like, get up and walk. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm silent at this point. Usually, I, I don't know if you can tell, I'm very sarcastic. I talk back to Michael. We bicker. We're real obnoxious. I am dead silent because I'm defeated. I just, I was just, what, you know, what it was. And he was like, get up because you're doing this again in 10 minutes. Mm. And I just stared at him. I'm like, no. And he was like, yes. Get your, he's like, get yourself together. Do whatever you need to do. Get on the bike. I want you to ride the bike just at a leisurely pace. Flush out your legs. You're doing this again in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I get on the bike fighting tears and he looks at me he's like what happened and I literally snap reaction I was like what do you mean what happened I couldn't do it (laughs) (laughs) everything hurt I was like my quads hurt everything hurt and he and so he stopped for a second he looked down the ground he's like so what happened and I just I sat there and it felt like forever but I sat there and I thought and I looked at him and I was like I went into it thinking I couldn't do it I was like I said I can't and he's like right he's like from this moment on I don't ever want to hear you say that again you can't was like you just fight every minute uh, that you're on that rower he's like you don't think that you can't and I was like okay so I'm there's silence and yeah. this was your response to a PR you said right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tears on the bike I just PR let me go cry on the Roll bike on the rower, yeah. <laughs> there I am like completely silent which if you know me I'm not silent at the gym I'm like you know whatever and he's like all right are you ready and I'm like, yeah. And meanwhile, I see Michael, and he's getting the bike ready. He's taping everything, so I can't see anything on the screen. Mm-hmm. He's like, "You only all I see is the boat now, so I don't know what my pace is. I just see the, how much, how many meters I have left, and the pace." And so I'm like, "Okay, whatever. Let's do this." So I'm like, "I can. I can do this." And I got through 1500, pulling, feeling good, and then I got to like 500 left. And I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't do this!" And I slowed down. And Michael's like, "Don't you dare!" <laughs> So then I sped up and I didn't end up beating the boat and I fell off the rower and I just looked at him and he was, and I was still almost in tears and he looked at me and he's like, you want the good news or the bad news? And I was like, go bad news first. And he was like, you did not beat the boat. (laughs) (laughs) And I just stared at him. I was like, thanks Captain Obvious, no shit. And then he's like, but you did beat your previous time. And so now you have a new PR of 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. So in those two times, well, first of all, my 500 was the PR. So then I PR'd my 2,000-meter row, even though I didn't beat the boat, and I gave up. And then I PR'd again, and he was like, and you're crying. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but in that time frame, I, I, I sat there, and I was like, that mindset is real. Like, Because I sat there in the first 2,000 meters, and I was like, I can't do this, I can't do this, and I couldn't. I, I stopped. I gave right. up. I literally... There were times where I literally stopped rowing, and Michael was like, what are you doing? Go. you know. And the second time... I felt myself giving up. I w- I've got to that point where I was like, I can't. And then I was like, no, you can. And then I started pulling again. And I was like, you can. You got this. You got this. And that's literally what I kept telling myself. So with that, like, I've translated that to so much more than just training, like, in my life and things that I can do, you know. Um, so now, like, getting to, like, what I do with macros and icons. So I was a client for the longest time. And then Caitlin started her business, I think two years ago now, Macros and Metcons. And when she started, I was probably six months in, she was like, have you ever thought about being a coach? And I was like, for what? <laughs> and she was like, for nutrition. And I just sat there and I was like, you know, I haven't really thought about it. She's like, because as my business grows, like Michael asked me who would be the first coach that I would hire Mm -hmm. and she's like without a doubt without even hesitating I said you 
And I looked at her and I, you know, not that I was questioning myself or her, but I was like, why? Because I, I never thought about it. You know, like I'd gone from this girl who was 200 pounds in high school, never set foot in a gym. I didn't work out those stupid fitness tests. They put you through in high school or in middle school and elementary school. I was terrified. I was terrified. I couldn't do a pull up. I hung from the bar and just was like, okay, am I done yet? Like I can't do anything, you know? And now like fast forward, you know, I started working out. Now I'm doing CrossFit. I've lost all this weight. And I'm like thinking, I was like, but why me? Like, I don't have a background in this. I don't know what I'm talking about. And she was like, because you relate to people. Mm-hmm. She was like, people can relate to you. They're going to see that you've gone through it. You understand when they're having a bad day or they're having a good day, like their ups and their downs, like you've experienced it. So you can relate to them very easily. And I didn't really ever think about that. Yeah, it was the same sure. thing like when Michael asked me to do his podcast and he's like, you have a great story. I was like, what? I don't have a story to tell. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And I just never thought about that. So she asked me and she was like, I'm not ready now, but like in the future, you know, I want you to think about it. And so precision nutrition has a a certification that they, they have level one and level two. And so she was like, would you do it with me? And I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And in my head, I was like, all right, sure. Like, we'll see what happens. So I did the level one and then started level two and, um, so I was working with Caitlin and then in January she was like, I want to take you on as a coach, you know, like let's, you can use me as your guinea pig and like maybe ask some friends or family that you have. And so in January I took, um, Caitlin as a co as a client and then my sister, and my brother-in-law were like my guinea pig, so to speak. Right. Um, I'm nutrition coaching and I was terrified, you know, like people will, you know, you say like, oh, you're going to do this and you have all the confidence in the world. No, no confidence. I was, I am like, I don't want to screw up. Like I had so much success and people look at me and they see that success and they want that. And I'm like, I don't want to fuck it up for somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the thing though. People forget that the confidence comes after the thing. Oh yeah. Not I, in front of the thing. For yeah. sure. And it's like experience time. And even with my current, the job that I have outside of fitness and nutrition, like um, when I started at, like I was an idiot when I first started I knew nothing but now like if anybody asked me if you were to see me at work like it's the one thing that I don't hesitate with I am 100% confident that's 10 years in you know Mm -hmm. like I've been a perfusionist for 10 years 10 years ago when I was starting I was running around like chilling with my head cut off I was like I don't know I'd asked all the questions but that's what I did like I asked all of the questions I wasn't afraid to ask and that's kind of where I started with macros and being a coach is you know I'm like Caitlin I'm gonna be asking you for every time I do want to make a change I'm gonna ask you if you agree or whatever and for the most part she does agree I just don't have that confidence to believe in myself but you know working like my sister my brother-in-law were my first clients and my sister's a surgeon she's super busy she has two kids she's married and um she's like I don't work out so I, but I've gained weight from, you know, where I was after having kids, I can't work out. So I need to dial in my nutrition. And honestly, a lot of people don't realize this. They're not eating enough. Like, although my sister wasn't working out, she's a doctor. She's on her feet all day long. She's running around the hospital. She's seen patients. She's this and that. She was vastly under eating, you know, and even starting her, it was the same thing that I went through. She was like, that's a lot of food. And I'm like, it is a lot of food, but you need it. Mm-hmm. You need the fuel for your body. And she, because my, my sisters and I, are, we were all overweight as kids. She was probably the most active out of us, so she didn't struggle with her weight as much. But she had weight, weight issues or whatever. So she started, you know, she, I started with her. And at the end of four months, both my brother-in-law and my sister, my sister had lost 3% body fat. And my brother-in-law was down 5 And my brother-in-law has an ankle injury that prevents him from doing a lot of stuff. But he does rock climbing. He's doing climbs that he hasn't done before. Super strong. So I was, like, slowly gaining confidence. And people are reaching out to me on Instagram, um, 
one of the girls that used to go to cross with PHX, she moved to Florida. She reached out to me and said she wanted to work with me. So I'm working with her. So now I have a handful of clients that, I mean, I'm still not confident by any means. Like, I still have questions. I'm still, you know, like, Caitlin, like, what do you think, Caitlin? And I text her a lot. But that's just for my security. But most sure. of the time, I'm pretty spot on. And, like, because I've gone through it, I've gone through right. the highs and the lows. Right, yeah. So as you're working with more and more people, what are you finding are the biggest blocks? Is it the physical side or is it the mental side that you're dealing with more so than not? Um, I think it's a combination of both, mm. you know, which comes first for most people. Do you think, um, probably, uh, like dealing with it or yeah, just like getting into the flow of the process of, of making that change. Right. I, I, I think the mental stuff always comes last, like dealing with that stuff. Like it, it, we, as coaches, we try to like intertwine that and like have people work on that in the midst, but a lot of people don't want to admit like that's their issue right. or that they're that fucked up. But we all are, we all right. have like those insecurities and those things that those de- inner demons that we face that we don't really like to tell people about, you know, yeah. you know? And so I think that a lot of people are very apprehensive about sharing that stuff and you kind of got to dig in and like dig deeper and like make them feel comfortable and welcome and that they can actually divulge that stuff and not feel like they're crazy. Yeah. I've, I've experienced the same thing. It's almost as if the physical side, the physical results are the, that's the sale, right? It's like, here's what you need or here's what you want to create. That's the thing we're shooting for. And then you sort of like back end (laughs) all of the, here's how you're thinking, dude. Here's here. Hey, do that what are you looking at here? You know, why are you saying this to yourself kind of a thing? Yeah. Because people don't realize that what they're back ending inside or what they're mainlining into their brain, so to speak, is it impacting their physical results, just like yours on the rower. Oh yeah. You know, but like you said, it's hard to come at someone with that side first. That's been one of the things that I've struggled to, to create mastery around. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, and like I said, like it's a everyday thing. It's a daily thing that's never going to change. Like it's, People think, oh, like it's going to be like snap, and then all of a sudden you don't have those demons anymore. No, they're still there. You, yeah. you just know how to deal with them, and you have like you develop tools, I guess, mm-hmm. to deal with them and learn how to. I think that's them. a huge failure on the part of that development industry, though, because you know, a lot of the quote unquote brochures and the marketing, it, it's like, oh, well, we're going to change your life. <laughs> Everything's going to change your life, and you're going to be better tomorrow if you just attend this seminar yeah. where we wave our hands around in the air. And it's like, no, that stuff's not going away. You have to dance with it. But if you don't know how to dance with it, then it rules your life and then you're fucked. Like you said. And, you know, kind of if we pair it back to your story where you had similar results happening over and over for a long period of time, right? Like you would start a program and then start another program, start another program. That cycle of starting over had to do with how you were thinking about what you needed to create. It wasn't that those programs couldn't work for you or wouldn't work for you. It's just like, well, no. I'm not into this. So let me go ahead and shift. Let me shift. Let me shift. Let me shift. You know, when those failures accrue rather than trusting the process that it's going to work out in the end. Right. For sure. Yeah. And I think like the other, what for me and what I try to get across to my clients is sure the, the physical stuff is great. Like weight loss, the fitness in the gym, but my biggest takeaway from working with against gravity and macros and metcons and, is learning how to fuel my body efficiently and learning my relationship with food and dealing with that and managing that. And like, it has changed so drastically that I couldn't be happier with where I am now mentally because now, you know, I go out once a month with my girlfriends for 
dinner and drinks and I don't have anxiety about it. Like I don't have anxiety about going to dinner and like, what am I going to order? What am I going to drink? Sometimes I have a drink. Sometimes I don't, you know, like that was one of the things that I really stressed about growing up in my twenties was I was never really a huge fan of drinking. Like I just, I just didn't need it to have a good time. I didn't like how I felt with it. Um, but I drank anyway because all my friends were and yeah. everybody else was. And I thought that I would be judged if I didn't drink, you know. And so when I first started working against gravity, like I completely just stopped drinking because I was like, I don't need to drink. I don't want to drink, you know, like it's just not something that I want to do. I don't need to have four drinks to have a great time. I don't right. need to go drink 12 beers to, you know, enjoy myself. But I was so afraid of being judged by my peers that, oh, you don't drink, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, whatnot. It's such, like, drinking is such a social thing. Yes. And um, it's hard to be the one person that's not drinking. You start to think, well, they're not going to invite me anymore. They're not going to do this and that. And I'm like, and honestly, like, and I had to evaluate myself and what I want. And I was like, if, if I don't, if I choose not to drink and my friends stop inviting me, places they're not my friends mm -hmm. you know like they're not going to care whether I'm having a beer having a glass of wine or if I'm drinking water That's sure right. they'll tease me you know whatever but you know like my real friends the people that I want to keep in my life they're not going to care right they're going to be okay with that so now you know when I go out like if I want a glass of wine I have a glass of wine do I have seven no because <laughs> I just I don't want I don't want seven <laughs> you I know so relate to that man I, I've never enjoyed the way that I feel when I have alcohol in my system and so my favorite phrase at all these places is sparkling water please <laughs> sparkling water please and yeah. put that in a wine glass for me <laughs> but that, no, that's a good one yeah I just walk around faking it all night you know yeah and like I went through a phase where I was drinking vodka waters which is fine you know whatever but now when I drink just water and they're like are you drinking I'm like yeah there's vodka in here they don't care, you know, yeah, like, they, don't care. they don't care. And I, I, and I, I think that in my 20s, I could never do this because I didn't love myself or respect myself. And, you know, now, like being older and going through this process, I've learned to do what serves me right. and makes me happy. Like, obviously, I'm I don't I'm not an asshole to people and I don't judge people for their lifestyle or their choices. You do you. I'm going to do me. And I'm not going to worry about what you think of that you know right. like if I don't want to drink I'm not gonna drink if I want to eat a bowl of fries I'm gonna eat a bowl of fries you know like that's just balance and <laughs> like that and that's always how it's been for me I haven't needed alcohol but sometimes I want to eat a basket of fries I want to eat an entire plate of nachos by myself and I'm I'm okay with that you know and I've mm -hmm. learned that that's okay you know 100%. and that's huge for me like the mindset shift is way more valuable to me than losing 40 pounds like yes obviously bonus mm -hmm. but I've learned like your weight's gonna fluctuate your entire life it's an up and down process but having a good relationship with food yourself is priceless yeah well going back to the mindset piece when you're constantly denying yourself right like you're I mean even if it's just with food that can't help but show up in other areas of your life because you're in such a habit of saying no to things right no 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 like if someone's presenting something an opportunity a conversation something that might create social anxiety, <laughs> right? We talked about this, like, yeah, it's hard for that first response not to be no when that's your first response for one of the most primal things that you do, which is eat. Right. You know what I mean? That's for crazy. Sure. It's funny that you bring up the social anxiety piece. We talked about this a little bit um, coming into the conversation and off mic. And, um, you know, we met at Brooke Walker's event mm -hmm. and uh, I saw you standing with the PHX crew. Like I know Michael, I know a few of the PHX crew. Um, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Michael's wife for the first time, but you seemed very approachable. You had this really, you know, just great energy about yourself. 
And when I walked in, I walked in by myself, no crew, no nothing, right? <laughs> I'm just in here. Okay. Well, I know, sort of know Brooke because she was on the podcast and we had, you know, we connected around that, but I don't know anyone else. And then I just walked up to you and started chatting with you, but I felt the same thing. Like I felt this, hmm, you know, uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I... <laughs> showing up in the proper way. I think everyone experiences that. And I think that's so funny because like, like you said, you didn't feel that way about me. I didn't feel that way about you either. I was, mm-hmm. I was sitting there and I was like, Oh God, he's so social. He like introduced himself <laughs> to me. And the whole time, cause I saw you talking to Michael, I was like, Oh, I should go introduce myself. And I didn't because I have social anxiety and I right, right. I'm nervous when I meet people for the first time. And most people don't know that about me because I have gotten a lot of feedback saying, Oh, you're very approachable. You're this, you're that people watch you in the gym. And mm-hmm. I don't see myself that way, you know? And so for to hear it, I'm glad, like, I'm glad that people don't see that because Mm -hmm. that's my inner demons. And I don't want, I don't ever want someone not to approach me. I don't ever want to have that resting bitch face that says, fuck (laughs) off, don't talk to me. Cause I'm not like that at all, you know, but I think I have gotten a a lot of that in the past where people tell me that I'm super quiet or I'm, I'm intimidating. I get intimidating a lot and I'm like, really? Like, how am I intimidating? And it's because I'm a quiet person when I first meet people. Yes. And it's, and people mistake that quiet reserved and, you know, whatever face I have on, like, as intimidating. I'm like, I'm not. I like people, I swear. I can totally relate to that, man. I, w- I remember when I was uh, working uh, a job out in North Carolina, I had to correct an employee. I was, like, an assistant manager at the time, and I had to correct an employee. And my way of being is just very calm and very reserved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did this correction thing, and then I got a complaint. Oh, and I was like, oh, shit, what did I do? You know, like... Because I have this whole thing where, you know, there's a part of me that wants to please everyone, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, shit, what did I do to this person, right? All I did was say, hey, you know, you need to change X, Y, and Z next time you do X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. And um, the feedback that I got was, you're intimidating because you're tall and you're quiet. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I can't do anything about being tall, you know? I'm not going, well, I should say I'm not going to do anything about being tall. And as far as being quiet... Hmm, that makes a lot of sense now because now when I walk into a room, I, I sense it. Like I yeah. can tell when people, you know, co- kind of like are are withdrawing themselves because they think someone is like exuding confidence or like stay away from me mm-hmm. because they're kind of like standing on their own, like stoically. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it is tim- intimidating. It's right? super intimidating. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you hit it like spot on when you have like a tall male. And yeah. that's in, in good shape or whatever. And you know, it's kind of like you're hovering over, you yeah. know, and it, it, it's intimidating, you know, so I completely understand. But I also get the. And you at 5'4". 5'4", apparently. I have to be crazy intimidating. But I think right? that like people, when they see me and I, I and this is f- strictly feedback from like my colleagues and some of my friends, people that see me and they um, know what I do for a living especially men, which is really weird. Um, they like see that I, you know, I have a great job. I'm successful. I'm independent. Um, apparently I'm not bad looking. I, <laughs> that's weird for me to say, you You're know, very attractive woman. Um, we can say it publicly <laughs> and apparently approachable, but like I get told that I'm intimidating for those reasons. And, really? I, and I'm like, why though? Like, I feel like a woman that is independent, successful, that can hold her own should be, not intimidating like I don't know the word for it but I was like I'm not intimidating like I don't get it and like all of my colleagues like I get told that a lot by like when I ask my friends why am I still single like I'm this I'm that and they're like you're intimidating like oh yeah for sure and that's what they tell me they're like men are intimidated by you you have to meet someone that's at your level (laughs) what about the guys you have dated what's going on there like what do they say or have you gotten any feedback from them uh 
This is terrible. Um, <laughs> the One of the guys that I dated for a long time in New York, like, it was one of those. We were really young and dumb, you know, tw- in our early 20s. He didn't want to settle down. I wanted to settle down. And I was never one of those people that liked to date multiple people at once. But he didn't want to. So we were dating other people. And that was went on for a long time. Probably, like, five years. Five years too long. And we were very immature. And he's British. Really bad sense of humor, if you don't know the Brits. Like, and I used to be very sensitive to like things he said to me, but then I started to get to know his sense of humor. Long story short, like I just got fed up with like we would go to like graduations together, we'd go to weddings together. We'd do everything that we would do in a relationship, but he would see other people. But you weren't technically in an exclusive relationship. We weren't relationship. in an exclusive relationship, so I was finally like, fuck it, I can't do this anymore. And it was a bad, like he was the only person that I've ever dated that I've ever fought with, like screaming fought with, because I'm more of a let me take this in let me think about this before I say something I don't want to say I don't like to I don't like to say stuff out of anger like I need time to like process and think about it mm-hmm. it's the only person I've ever gotten to like a screaming match with and he said some really hurt hurtful things and he's British so the c word is very normal for him he called right. me that in a fight and I was like oh we're done <laughs> like, <laughs> so we actually we and the line, he, buddy. you know he never took responsibility for anything that he that he did dating like every fought, fight we had he said it was my fault I was like mm. okay cool like this is going well. So the um, the other thing is, is like he was very inconsiderate. Like I worked a lot when I, w- I lived in New York. I would work 12, 14, 20, 36 hour shifts, come wow. home, sleep for a few hours and then, you know, go back to work or whatever. I had a very serious job and I worked a lot of hours. He did not. And he was out partying. He would call me two in the morning. He was just very inconsiderate. And I just finally, and I, like when we, we, he didn't have, I don't want to say he didn't have a job. He coached soccer. He didn't have like a real like, business eight to five, nine to five job he was so he got paid or whatever so he was on the cheaper side I was paying for all the stuff that we were going out for and I was just getting to the point where I was like I can't do this anymore like I want yeah. to be number one in your life and I finally like got to my breaking point we broke up we stopped talking for a long time like six months and then finally called me he's like hey you want to go to dinner and we became friends and it wasn't until I moved here and I was dating someone and he same thing, didn't want to be in a relationship. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? So I called the guy back in New York. His name's Colin. I called him. And I mean, it was midnight my time. So it was like three in the morning his time. <laughs> I'm crying. And he answered the phone? He did, of course. Yeah. Of course. We're, we're still very good friends now. And I literally am crying. And I'm like, Colin, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I in my 30s? I'm successful. I have a great job. I'm not ugly. And like, I'm like, listen, all this stuff. And I'm like, what could I have done differently that would have made you want to date me? that would have made you want to be in a relationship with me. And he literally said to me, he's like, it's not you. He's like, you're perfect, and I love you, and I always will love you, but I did not want to be in a relationship at the time. And the way that it ended is like, at that time in my life, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids, and you do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I love you, and I always will, and I wanted you to be happy. So that's why like, it never worked out. It just wasn't the right time. Like Now he's you know in his 30s, like maybe now it would. I don't know if you feel the same way, whatever. But he was like, it's not you. And you have to get that out of your head that is you. And I was like, so then I was like, well, that wasn't helpful. But then it got me thinking. And I was like, he's right, though. You know, like, we were at different parts in our life. Like, I wanted to be in a relationship. He didn't want it. But he told me. And, I mean, I don't think I'm perfect. But he said it. He was like, if I wanted that, he's like, we would be married and have kids at this point. Right. He's like, I did love you. But I just wasn't there, you know. And I think, like. I use that a lot in like my relationships now and I'm like, I don't want to be with someone that doesn't want to be with me. I don't want to be with someone that's intimidated by me. Like I want to be with someone that wants to be with me, you know? So that whole intimidating thing, I just try to like, 
it's fine, whatever. <laughs> so what's your mindset around it? How do you see yourself in a relationship? How do I see myself? In a yeah, how do you see yourself approaching a relationship or a significant other? That's a good question. I don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Did I stump you? You might Come have. On, oh my no God. Way. I can't shut up. I was going to say, like, this is the easiest <laughs> podcast interview ever. <laughs> I think I've asked like two questions the whole time. It's because I'm nervous. <laughs> I ramble when I'm nervous. No, but you're, I mean, you're telling your story perfectly. I'm like, why would I interrupt? <laughs> that's oh man, amazing. I'm going to sit here quietly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Um, honestly, like, I don't, I, I have like a list of like what I want in a relationship and I've, you know, highs, lows of dated. I, I, don't, I hate online dating. I think it's terrible. Um, but it's not natural for me. Like, like you said, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I have social anxiety. Like I'm, I'm shy when I first meet people. So like when I do like online dating and I meet someone, I'm like, this is an interview to date me. Like what I say can like make you run for the hills. It can and will be used against yeah, you ex- it, at a dinner date. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm super nervous and I'm like, I can't be myself. So like that just doesn't work for me. Like ideally like a natural situation like I just want to find someone that compliments me that's not in- intimidated by me that you know I have anxiety that can be the calming force in my in my head you know and like I do I want to find someone like my best friend and just someone to go through life with right right and I think he's out there eventually I'll find right. him you know I just have to be optimistic and open to that for sure for sure all right guys you heard it here look up Jordana <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> can, can this be edited out? Can that <laughs> that went too far. <laughs> yeah, too funny. Too funny. Well, you talked a little bit about uh, your career, and you mentioned the word profusionist, which very few people, including myself, know what uh, that's all about. So, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do on that side of thing in the medical world, and then um, take us down some of these trips that you've been on. Okay, so perfusionist, for those of you that don't know, um, it is not perfume, which is what I get a lot when I say perfusionist. I do not work with perfume and spraying people in the mall. It's not what I do. (laughs) That's what most people guess. Um, But so perfusionist is basically, um, I run the heart-lung machine in cardiac surgery. So anytime um, adult or pediatric patient um, needs heart surgery, they have to, the heart has to be stopped. So blood has to be removed from the heart, which also means that the lung circulation is cut off. So what happens is basically um, tubes get placed in the patient's heart, redirected to my machine that acts as the heart and the lung. So I have an artificial pump, an artificial oxygenator lung that does all the work that the heart and lungs would do. So during a typical cardiac surgery, like my job would be monitoring the blood pressures, the electrolytes and all of that stuff that would this sounds this sounds really cocky when I say it but it keeps the patient alive basically while the surgeon just true is, is able to do his job and fix whatever's wrong with the heart so that was my training was in and I did my my master's program in New York and then I stayed in New York for um, almost eight years working at a very busy center which they did adult patients pediatric patients um, and the heart lung machine is kind of like the one part of my job, we also worked a lot with like the orthopedic surgeons, um, OBGYN and like cell, um, blood salvaging and like other like ancillary procedures. But we did transplants, we did life support in wow. the ICUs. Um, life support in the ICUs is called ECMO, um, which is extracorporeal outside the body membrane mm-hmm. support. So we, we work basically with like life support and wow. cardiac surgery. And since moving home um, and, and home being in Arizona, I now specifically do pediatrics. Wow. Um, 
But while I was in New York, um, the, my chairman of surgery um, has a nonprofit organization called HeartCare International and their medical mission. So they have three countries right now that they currently go to. They travel and they do heart surgeries on kids that otherwise wouldn't get heart surgery. Mm-hmm. And so typically a team um, is like two surgeons, a handful of perfusionists, OR nurses, and then ICU nurses and doctors to kind of bridge the gap of learning for the countries that don't know how to do the surgeries and don't know how to take care of the patients post-op and pre-op. So it's um, so we do the surgeries, but it's also a, a teaching opportunity for the countries and developing their programs. Um, the three that I specifically have gone on, I, I've done a total of nine trips in four years, five years. Wow. Um, so I've gone to Peru four times. That one's kind of like the Candyland. They're the most developed and they have really nice equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we call that Candyland. But the other two trips are um, not so nice as far as equipment and technology. So the other ones are El Salvador and Mexico um, and not Mexico like, you know, Cabo. It's right. Chiapas, Mexico, which is on the borderline of Guatemala. Um, and so they actually don't have a program. So when we go there, they literally don't do surgery unless there's an, a visiting center. So when we go, um, all of the equipment is donated. Mm. Um, all the supplies is donated. And so you kind of work with what you have. And, you know, here in the States, all of our stuff is, you know, catered to our surgeons. They're catered to our pumps. They're catered to us. Like, we don't have to make any adaptations to our packs, our donations, our non-sterile stuff. So when we go down there, it's all donated. You don't know what you're getting. You don't know the people you're working with. You don't know the surgeon. Typically, you don't know the surgeons. I was lucky that I knew these surgeons because it was my surgeon's organization. Mm -hmm. But they bring in people from Alabama, from California, from all over the states, people that are just volunteering their time to go and do these missions. So um, the first one that I went on, um, I went with my boss. And it was a Candyland. It was (laughs) in Peru. And it went well. It didn't have any issues. You know, we didn't have um, what a lot of people in my profession, you'll hear, like, say, hand cranking. So basically meaning we lose power and we have to manually crank our pump. It's very intensive and really sucks. And, you know, in my career living in the States, I never had to do it. I was like, okay, you know. So I go to Peru, and my first trip was perfect. I had no issues. And then my second trip was to El Salvador where the ORs are open to the outside. There is no air conditioning. Really? The um, outlets, um, and I'm going to screw this up because I'm not an electrician, but like the voltage or the amps weren't high enough for our equipment. Mm -hmm. So there's a very high probability of our stuff like blowing the circuit. We had like extension cords running to other rooms or whatever. And so this trip, there was only three perfusionists, uh, myself, the local perfusionist who did not speak English, and I do not speak Spanish, so that's difficult. And then another perfusionist um, who I'd never met before, it was our first trip together, um, and now they, they do like lead people, and so I was the lead person, I was the one that, I, that, I, that, uh, that people came to with issues and stuff. And we had a relatively good trip, um, we didn't have any like big issues. We had a couple like power surges, but it came back on right away. Mm-hmm. We're on our last day. <laughs> and I'll never forget that. So we're on our last day. And now I'm with like in my room, I'm with the surgeon that I typically work with back home. So I know him, his PA, and two of our um, anesthesiologist fellows who, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be graduating and become attending. So I knew the team really well. We were all comfortable with each other. 
And we had a simpler case that was going to be quick. And then we were going to hop over to the next room and help out the local team on a very complicated reoperation. This kid had been operated on four or five times in its past life, uh, or in its past, he's 18 years old. It's a very complicated procedure. So we were going to, you know, tag team it. So we're finishing, we're starting this, my case. And um, what happens during normal cardiac surgery is you go on bypass. So all of the blood is basically taken from the patient's heart and goes into my machine. And then I pump it back to the body. So you still have the blood pressure. You still maintain all of the hemodynamics. And then um, they put on a cross clamp, which um, basically stops any blood from going into the heart. Mm -hmm. And at that point, that's kind of like the, this is when the procedure's starting and, you know, whatnot. And at that time, all of a sudden, we hear this really loud alarm in the room right before this all is happening. We're on my heart-lung machine, so the patient is reliant on my machine, and it's alarming really loud. The oxygen in the room had gone out in my power supply to my thing. So now we're fumbling around trying to get oxygen. You know, I'm looking for an oxygen tank. My surgeon is frozen because he's like, I don't know what to do. Me and I'm working with anesthesiologists, and we, we get it figured out. Our bioengineering guy fixes the air, and he's like, all right, are we ready? And I just stared at him. I'm like, we're ready. I was like, please go quickly. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go quick. And then I lose power. (laughs) And so there, then I am hand cranking, and it goes back on. And he looks at me. He's like, you okay? And I'm like, I'm good. I was like, are you almost done? He's like, yeah, I'm almost done. Because now my heart is, like, in my throat, and I'm like, I want this day to be over. And we still have another case to do. So then we're finishing up, and we're not off the heart-lung machine. So once you finish the procedure, you have to, like, wean off. So basically putting the blood back into the patient and letting their heart take over. The movies are not real, by the way. But <laughs> So you basically slowly wean from our machine. And so someone comes over from the next room, and they're like, doctor, we need you next door. And he was like, oh, I'm not done here. And they're like, oh, but we need you. So they had an emergency over there. He looked at me and his PA, and he's like, can you guys handle the rest of this? We're still on my machine. And I'm like... We look at each other like, yeah, we got this. We can do this. Meanwhile, I'm like sweating profusely because, mind you, there's no AC in this in this OR, right, right. and it's El Salvador, 100 degrees. Wow. We're all sweating. We're just like, yep, we got this. So he runs next door. We come off bypass. Baby is fine. We're getting everything ready to go. Someone comes back in the room and they're like, "Are you guys done?" He wants all of you next door. The PA, the anesthesiologist, myself. We're like, okay. So I get over there. The room is black. <laughs> They have lost power. The perfusion is in hand pumping, surgeons screaming, and it was just chaos. And I'm now I'm running like back and forth. And, you know, that's what it was. It was the last day we we get through it. Like we get the power back on, but we have extension cords running from three different ORs. I'm running to get ice and like all this stuff. And it's, it's stressful as if surgery is not stressful in itself. And you have this, we finish the day. The kid is fine. We all go home to the hotel and they have these like pint sized beer glasses, you know, and I don't drink. And I'm like, I need one of those. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was a really long stress week, but that's kind of what you get when you go to a country that doesn't do surgery. They don't have this equipment. You have to be on your game. And like, we have all these safety features in the States that prevent any sort of thing like that from happening. Oh yeah. They don't have that over there. So you're running completely, no safety features. You're running blind, basically. You just have to rely on your quick quickness. And those are all situations that you don't really experience in the States. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really happen. Like I've been a perfusionist for nine years. I've never lost power in my ORs. Got a little bush medicine going on. Yeah. So you learn a lot of like cool little tricks. You meet perfusionists and other people from around the country and how they're doing things. I can't tell you how many 
really cool, like neat things that I've learned that I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that when I go back home or duct tape is your friend. We duct tape everything. (laughs) 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 I wish I won't tell people that we, I mean, surgeons that are like pre Madonna's in the States that they're like, oh, I want this. I want this. Like we're in El Salvador, Peru, I want this. I'm like, yeah, I don't have that next and they're like well I want this I don't have that you know like we just rig shit together and it works and no one gets mad no one's angry no one's fighting like there's no politics because we're all there for those kids right and versus when you're in the states like I hate to say this because you know it's healthcare. there's so many politics there's so much red tape and there's so many things that we don't do because there's red tape and oh, there's yeah. th- this can happen and that there we're just like fuck it let's do it that's like crazy. let's try it let's tape this let's you know what option do you have yeah right? we don't have an option yeah, so exactly. it's either this or we don't do it you know right, and right. so um it really challenges your skills and puts you on your toes like people think oh it's a vacation it's not a vacation we work our asses off like and we have a good time too like you know we'll have that crazy day in the or but then we're all like 20 of us will go to dinner have drinks and stay out and then we'll get up and do it again you sure. know they're not short days like we are up at i, I work out because i'm dumb but i wake up at like 4 30 <laughs> work out we have to be at breakfast at six and we leave the hot the hotel by 6 30 we're there for 12 hours come wow. home eat rinse do it again it's amazing you know but like seeing those kids and their parents like th- this talk about putting things in perspective in life like these parents drive or take a bus because they don't have a car two three miles two three hours just to get to the hospital and then because they're so strict there the parents are only allowed 20 minutes in the icu a day 20 minutes to see your child so instead of going home for three hours and then coming back for three hours the next day they sleep outside of the hospital they sleep on the floor on mattresses outside of the hospital so as we're walking in we're seeing all these families wow. sleeping outside of the hospital and it it's heartbreaking it's a lot of pressure but man. they are so thankful like there is like I, we've had um, I, we've gotten earrings from family members. They've given us like bracelets, anything and anything they can give you, they give you. They're just like thank you. They're so thankful, and it's, it's, amazing. it's amazing. Like the hospitals provide food for us. We they bought pizza. We didn't finish it. We literally walked out and just handed the families pizza because they are sleeping outside. Yeah. I can't even imagine that life. Like so much we take for granted here. We take a lot for granted, and like uh, you know. <clears throat> And this is really close and dear to my heart, and I have never actually talked about this with a lot of people, but um, doing what I do really hit home for me. Uh, two years ago, uh, my sister had my niece. She was pregnant, and she kept telling me, she's like, something's wrong. Like, I don't, something's wrong, something's wrong. And my niece was born with a congenital heart defect and needed heart surgery at six weeks old. And so now, like, doing what I do, I was on the other side of it. And... Um, I'll never forget that feeling. I'll never forget how thankful I I was and I am. And I am like the days that I have like hard, long days. And I'm like, why do I do this? That's why, you know, like these kids, they, their families, they're so thankful. And I'm like, I get to be a part of that, you it's know. Amazing. And there's there's days where we're in the OR for 12 hours. And I'm like, God, this fucking sucks. But then like, you see like, you know, looking back, you see the kids. Like I still keep in touch with some of the kids that I've done surgeries on and like being on the other side of it and seeing my sister go through it and like my niece was in the ICU for two weeks I like seeing her have tubes and lines and just everywhere it, it was horrible and now like like this is why I do what I do like I, I it's amazing that is amazing I, I can't imagine how many lives you guys have, have saved and how many families you've impacted yeah it, it's yeah. funny because people are like I you give up your your vacation I'm like yeah I'm like I do 
and I don't regret it at all. Yeah. You know, like it's not really giving up much of anything. No, it sounds like. it's uh, it's not. And you know, one of the one of the kids that we did, um, we were on. It was a crazy case. Like I never in my life experienced a case like this. And the surgeon that I was working with never worked them before. We made a plan. We did it. We were on. We were in the OR for twelve hours that day for really? one kid. Twelve wow. hours, and it was a long day. And I was just like, I don't know how this is gonna go. Because the longer the surgery is the worse the outcomes typically are. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, you know. And I, and, you know, being in a third world country and they don't have the means that we have in the States, I was like, I don't know. And that was five years ago. That was 2014, I want to say. And I am, we still get updates from mom from that child. And he's five years old. He's doing great. And he looks amazing. And I'm just like, oh, my that's why that's amazing and it, it's it's just an amazing amazing wow. like feeling what and a feeling that has to be it it really isn't it's it's indescribable like I don't you know like people are like I don't know how you do it I'm like I don't know either and like after after my niece went through it and watching my family and being on the other side I honestly thought to myself I couldn't do it anymore because I went through when she had her surgery I went through months of every kid that came into my OR I would cry because I would just see her and I was like that's my niece like I just it was so hard and I I honestly told my surgeon because he was the only one that knew I told him I was like I don't know that I can do this anymore like I just I see her and and he said you have to decide for yourself but I'm gonna tell you right now like you'll do yourself your family and your patients a disservice he's like you're really good at what you do you're very passionate and you can see that and you want you want families to experience what you've experienced. And I was like, that's true, you know. And it took, it's still, you know, there's still kids that hit me that I'm just like, oh, that's my niece, shit, you know. And, like, when her, no- her anomaly is super rare and, like, whatever, but so yeah, it's very rare that I'll ever see it. But it does drive me to keep doing it, you know. Yeah. What's it, what's it I mean, emotionally, that's got to be a huge sort of suitcase to carry around, you know. I mean, like, what happens when you lose someone? You know, what is that like? <laughs> you know, that... I don't think that ever gets easier. Like I said, like you just learn how to deal with it. I remember when I first started working, um, so I was living in New York and my parents were in Arizona and I remember the first child that we lost and it was a child and I called my mom and I was like, I can't do this. Like I was crying, I was emotional and I was just like, she was like, you can She's like, it'll get easier. Because my mom works in healthcare. She's not in what I do, but she works in healthcare. And so I knew that she would understand. And she was like, you can. She's like, you're helping for all those, for the one that you lost, think of all the ones that you're helping and the ones that go well. And that's kind of what we do. And I I'm, I don't know how many medical professionals you know, but we're, we all have kind of a sick sense of humor. We kind of crack jokes at inappropriate times. And most of the time, it's like, that's how we deal with it. Right. You know, like... One of the perfume, I was a student at the time, and I remember this so clearly because I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a fucking asshole. Like, why would he say that? But like I told you, we do um, life support in the, in the ICUs for, for kids. It's called ECMO. And they can these ECMO supports can run from a week. They can run from six to six months. Like, it's kind of, we can go as long as we want to go, you know. And this kid was on for months I don't even remember how long and I'm a student so I know nothing I'm an idiot you know like I'm very inexperienced but I know the perfusionist and I know this guy he's great like super intelligent great at his job like I really respect him had so much respect for him and he just got off like doing 24-hour shift or something he comes into the room and he was like why won't this baby die and we just and I just and everyone laughed and they joked about it and I was just like 
why would you say that? And now like fast forward to 10 years in, like he didn't mean that, you know, but that's the jokes that we crack and people don't understand it. And we never mean that, you know, like we never want that to happen. And when it does, it's devastating. Like I've cried with parents, I've cried with siblings and I'm like, and my boss used to tell me that I'm too emotional. I get too attached. And I'm like, I feel like that is a connection to families, you know, and I, my, they always just tell me don't cry. And, they, they razz me a lot about it, but I'm like, I wouldn't change that because that makes me who I am. It makes me connecting to my patients. And I still talk to the very first patient I put on ECMO. I still talk to the family. I still talk, he's, he was 14, he's 19 now. And actually he's probably, no, he was 11. I'm sorry. He's 11 now. He's 19 now. Cause it was when I, it was when I was brand new and like, I still talk to his dad. I still talk to his mom and I'm like, I wouldn't change that. I was like, cause now I like, it makes me relatable. You know, and I feel, I feel like that relate, that translates to a lot of my life. Like I'm relatable in a lot of ways, but now I can, you know, one of the patients that I had here in Arizona, like her son was going in for his third heart surgery. I had done the first two, I was doing the third and this was right after my niece had her surgery. So I was still really raw, but I didn't want anybody else working on this baby because he was mine. You know, like I had worked with him for, you know, two very long surgeries. And I told her, I was like, I know what you're going through. And I told her about my niece and she was like, wow, I'm really glad you shared that with me. And she's like, I don't want anybody else in that room taking care of my baby other than you. And that means something like that means a lot that she trusts me and, you know, and that she has that for me and that I was able to do that. Now he's five years old and looks great. It's amazing. And I, she posts up on Facebook, sends me videos and I'm like, Oh, that's my kid. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. So what does success look like for you going forward? Oh man. I've been asking myself this a lot right now. Really? Yeah. You know, so I've been doing macros and metcons as a coach for since January and you know, the inner demons in my head are like, oh, you're not good enough. You're an imposter. You're this, you're that. And I like questioned my abilities to do it. And, um, but I love it. You know, like if I, like I said before, like if I can help one person not go through what I went through, that's winning for me, you know? So I think like in the future, like I want to get more involved with macros and metcons and you know and unfortunately that means stepping outside of my comfort zone posting more on social media which I'm (laughs) terrible at because I'm like who (laughs) wants to hear about this um and so I mean that's one thing that I want to like grow and be more comfortable and confident in which I have to educate myself more on like people are always like oh it come or just go in there confidently and like I want to be confident but I want have the knowledge and basis to sure. back that confidence you know like I know I don't know everything I want to learn more and like dive into that a little bit more and I'm still you know I don't think that I don't know how long I'll be a perfusionist it's, I mean I might retire in it I might not I do want to continue to do missions because um, in, in that like I think that's just very rewarding and I am I like to give back to people and, you know, that are less fortunate or that if I can help you in any way, like I will, and I want to do that. Um, so I have thought a lot about this and I do want to get actively more involved in the missions and maybe get on the board in some fashion and in the future, I don't really know. Um, and then I think just continuing to be better, like, you know, um, I go through waves of like listening to podcasts, reading all these books and bettering myself and this and that. And like, I'm now getting back into doing podcasts and I ran my first marathon in June. I'm like, I kind of think I went through like a low after that. Like what now? I Mm -hmm. I ran a marathon. Cool. I can do that. (laughs) What can I do now? Right. 
So I, I think just success to me is just building uh, myself as a nutrition coach, continuing with the medical missions and just, you know, being open to the future and what I can do. That's beautiful. I love that. So before I ask my last question, tell these folks where they can get in touch with you on your not so active social media. Oh, well, it's active, just not <laughs> what it probably <laughs> should be. Um, so my fa- Facebook is just my name, um, Jordana Newberger. And then my Instagram is Jordana with two N's, J-O-R-D-A-N-N-A underscore Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. Beautiful. Guys, so be sure and check out Jordana. She's got a ton of value to offer if you haven't already picked that up in this particular conversation. So my last con- uh, my last question is always the same, and that's simply this. What does wellness mean to you? Mm, that is good. <laughs> um, I think wellness is multifaceted. Um, and I think that for me personally, like, Wellness is being healthy, being active, um, being open and consistent. Like, um, I don't ever want someone not to approach me or give me advice or mentor me. Like, I always want to be someone that is open to change and growth and learning new things. And I think wellness is just surrounds all of that, being happy, being driven and dedicated and just continuing on a path to be the best version of yourself. Wow. It's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit about your career and some of the missions that you've been on. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. And I'm sorry if I rambled. (laughs) No, don't, don't be like I said, easiest podcast I've ever done. I absolutely loved having you on. We could probably talk another two or three hours because there's a lot of questions that I, that I would love to ask you, but I know you've got to get out of here. So thank you so much for being here, guys. Be sure and check out Jordana online. If you're looking for help with the nutrition coaching, definitely hit her up. Hopefully you don't need her surfaces as a profusionist. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> and, uh, be sure and be sure and hit her up and say hello, guys. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.